And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's a very important portion of Scripture to us because sometimes it's difficult reading through the Old Testament and asking God, Lord, how in the world does this apply to me? We just read through the 10 plagues. We read through the Egyptians being freed from slavery for over 430 years. We just read how the Red Sea was ripped in two. The Israelites walked through on dry ground. And then their enemies, their overlords, the Egyptians, were just smashed and destroyed afterward. But Lord, what does that have to got to do with me, right? What in the world does that have to do to me? When we go to the water baptism, am I going to be able to stand on South Point Beach Pier, right? Put up my hands up and watch the ocean ripped in two. Is that what's going to happen? Pastor Raz going to throw something in the water and it's just going to turn to blood, right? Is that what's going to happen? But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul, giving his commentary on the same portion of scriptures, he reveals to us the true reason why they are here. And even though it was literal things that happened within the history of Egypt, the way we apply it isn't necessarily in a literal aspect for us, but we'll see here what he says. In verse 1 through 6, he tells us, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So again, the reason for Exodus, the reason for so much of the Old Testament is to be an example for our lives on truly what to do and what not to do. This word example here in the Greek is the word typos, and it's a dissuasive example. It's a pattern of warning. It's an example that you say, hey, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go down that path. I don't want to go down that road. Right? Sometimes I don't know how often we really pay attention to road signs and symbols, right? But every once in a while, there's a, that yellow sign. I think it's like a diamond, and you see a car with a bunch of squiggly lines, right? What does that mean? It means the road, it can get slippery. So do you want to see the example, or you want to say, you know what? I want to see what it tastes like, right? I want to see what it feels like. The sign, the example, it's whatever, but I want to see what it's like to have my car kind of lose control, right? I want to see if I can handle it or not. Maybe that's where you're at. Another sign I thought of, right? Maybe you work on heavy machinery, And there's that sign, that example, and you see these two gears, right? And then you see a hand in the middle that looks a little bit strange, right? Looks like fingers are going one direction and a hand is going in another direction. And it's an example to warn us to not put your hands in the engine compartment because certain things may take place, right? Maybe on your shredder, there's a sign, there's an example of a tie. And what happens if your tie goes in the shredder, right? Hopefully most of us who say, I see that example, I want to stay far away from that, right? Maybe some men here, right, we're, we're prone to do things like this, right? We stick our tie in there, we say, okay, can I pull it back out, right? Can I make a tie that has a shredder on it and walk around like this? But again, these examples are given to us as a pattern of warning. 
a warning of what not to do. And we've seen the Israelites, how God has freed them. They've seen miracles in front of their eyes, miracles of darkness in all of Egypt. And yet there's light in the land of Goshen where they're living. And yet they get to the Red Sea. And what did they start doing? Complaining. Moses, did God bring us out here to die? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? There's enough pyramids back there. Why couldn't we just die there? And now the Lord has freed them, but we continue reading verse 7. It warns us, do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ. As some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So again, there's warnings here for us. Do not become an idolater. Do not become sexually immoral and do not become a complainer, right? Three simple warnings here for us as we look at the nation of Israel, verse 11, because they are examples written for our admonition. That word admonition, it's a calling attention to. It's a mild rebuke, a mild warning, or a criticism to draw your attention to a problem, to something that's going on, right? If you grew up in a Hispanic home, maybe you got a cocotazo, right? And that was an admonition. That was a warning, right? Or a yitis, or a little pinch on the back of your fat, your arm fat, right? And that was to give you a warning that what you were doing was wrong. Call your attention to what's going on. And that's here the way we should be seeing Exodus chapter 15 and the next coming chapters. It's a warning to us. And if in this time period they fell into idolatry, if in this time period they fell into sexual immorality, if in this time period they fell into complaining, how much more do we need to be aware and following the example to not follow that example? Right? Idolaters, what are we worshiping? Where are we pouring most of our time into? Where's most of our attention given? Where's most of our focus, most of our hope? Is it in the things of God or is it in other things, right? Nor let us commit sexual immorality. They didn't have triple X stores. They didn't have bars and brothels at this point. There were no cell phones with all sorts of garbage on them. There was no apps to be sending pictures back and forth. There was no pornography yet. And yet they fell into sexual immorality, the whole nation was given the same list of rules. The whole nation was given the same warning from God. In fact, they had God literally watching over them, the pillar of fire and cloud by day and night. And yet they fell into sexual immorality. How much more do we need to be aware of this admonition and warning? Right, finally, verse 10, I know not us. It's just a 9 a.m. service, right? Nor complain as some of them also complained. Right? How did we do this week in the complaining department, right? Did we assume the responsibility for the problems going on today? 
Or did we just start complaining, right? Ah, this, ah, that, all this. We've got to be careful. Verse 12, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Again, family, we need to not trust in ourselves, not trust in our own holiness, not trust in our own work, not trust in our own relationship with God. We need to be following the Lord and be concerned with this warning and with this admonition. So let's turn to Exodus 15. We'll get a running start in Exodus 14, verse 30. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And again, this is a great day. And in life, there's some great days in life, right? You've gotten married recently, you had a baby recently, maybe you bought a new house, new car. Maybe you walked out of your house on Christmas and there was a brand new car with a red bow on it, right? I don't know if that's any of us here, but hey, there's good days in life. There's great days in life. You get a bonus, you get a raise, the Lord saves you, right? Great days in life. And with great days in life, there should be good memories. And what Moses does is he writes a song. This is the first song recorded in Scripture, probably the first song that we have recorded in all of human history. And again, Moses, a warrior, a man of war, a shepherd, a man of God, he was still able to put to words and song the work that the Lord had done in them. So let's read verse 1 through 5. And it says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them and they sank to the bottom like a stone. So as we go through this song, verse 1 through 19, then Miriam, she sings her version in 20 and 21. We will constantly see all the glory goes to the Lord. All the glory goes to God. Moses has written the song. Moses is the one, if he wants to write, he rose his staff. He's the one that talked with Pharaoh. And yet all the glory goes to God. And for us, the joys in life, the blessings in life, who receives all the glory? Who do you give the glory to? In those good days in life, do you assume all the glory? You say, it's all of my hard work. It's all that I've done, all my planning, all my preparation. Or are you able to sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously? Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I 
will exalt him. You see, family, this is a song of salvation. And a song of salvation can only belong to those who have been saved. When you come to church this morning, are you rejoicing and singing these songs of salvation? Or are you kind of just bored the first 30 minutes of church saying, okay, this is time to let people get here late, right? These are the previews before the movie, and then then the movie starts, right? And then we get here. Or are we excited to sing to the Lord because he has saved us, right? There should be a true excitement within our hearts if he truly has become our salvation. If he truly is our God, we should praise him. And we're all capable of it. In our movies that we like, in the sports we enjoy, the TV shows we like, right? You can say every line of whatever movie is your favorite movie, whatever TV show is your favorite TV show, right? Whatever song you grew up dancing to or singing to, you can sing every single word. Maybe you were even at a concert, right? Or at a game, you're lifting up your hands singing, right? Putting your hands around random strangers and you're singing with them, dancing, excited for the play that just happened. So we're capable of it, but are we there? Are we truly singing to the Lord with all our heart, excited and thankful for what he's done? And that truly is going to be dependent if he has become our God. That's a great question for us this morning. Is God your God? Like Jehovah, the, the God that we're reading here in Exodus, the one that sent his only begotten son to this world to die, to resurrect for my sin and your sin. Is that your God? Because if that's our God, then we should be excited. He should be our strength, all of our reliance, all of our hope. It's in him. He should be our song, all of our rejoicing, all of our excitement. It should be in him because he is our salvation. He's the one that has saved us. He's the one that has freed us. So that's why our hope, our focus, our excitement is all in the Lord. Verse 3, it tells us the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now again, this verse, this idea of God is not that prevalent today, right? You finish the sentence. God is love. Okay, so you guys get the 9 a.m. They said God is good. Most of us said, right, God is love, or we were too afraid to say what we thought, right? That's where we were at. Our God is a God of war, just as he's a God of love. Just as we'll look at later, his chief characteristic is his holiness. When we think of God, we should be thinking that he is holy. That's the way we should be picturing God more than anything else. Because if it were not for his holiness, he would not have had to send Jesus to die for our sins because sin had to be dealt with. But our God is a God of war. And if we're honest, some of us, we try to make Jesus a little bit more passive, a little bit more prissy because then we get to be passive. Then we don't have to fight the difficulties in our world today. We get to make him the way we want him to be so that we don't have to change. But the very same Christ that drawed the little children unto him, the very same Christ that was gracious and loved on the woman caught in adultery, is the same Christ that flipped the tables in the temple, that fashioned a whip with his own hands to drive them out. And we should be grateful that our God is a God of war because he's waging war on evil. 
and on Satan and on the evil powers that be. If not, there wouldn't be that much hope for us. If there would be no war, if there would be no righteousness. So again, for us as men, that we would rise up to be the men that God wants us to be. Many of the men, after God's own heart, right? David, he was a man of war. Now, they're not just brutes. They weren't just men walking around with clubs in one hand, a turkey leg in another hand, right? That's not the way they were walking around. Moses, he's a man of war, but he's a man of poetry, as we just saw. He's a man that wanted to see God's face. He wanted to see the glory of God. You think of David, right? He's a man of war. I don't know how many of us today, right, somebody's stealing our little chihuahua, and we say, you know what, bear, let's fight, right? Say, nah, man, sorry, chihuahua, right? Today was your day. He's fighting bears and lions to protect his father's flock. And yet he's a man of songs. He's a man after God's own heart. He's a man that wants to seek the Lord. He's a man that understands authority and respects authority. So for us as men to not just be a one-trick pony, but to say, Lord, who do you want me to be? Not just what am I comfortable with, but Lord, who do you want me to be as a man? That we would stand up for the things that God cares about. That we would wage war against the things God hates. That we would be that type of man and that type of woman. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemies in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It is consumed them like stubble. Again, the Lord's the one that did all the work for the Israelites. He's the one that destroyed the army of the Egyptians. He's the one that freed them and protected them. Verse 5, right, it tells us the depths covered them, that they sank to the bottom like rocks. And again, who gets all the glory? Who gets all the power? It is the Lord. It's all God. Verse 7, the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. If we're honest, I think many of us, we like this verse, right? Because we think, you know what, I'm standing behind God, and then God, he's pouring out his wrath against those evil people out there. But the warning to us is that if we begin to live a lifestyle that is against God, if we're living a lifestyle like Pharaoh that says, who is Jehovah, and why should I change my decision making, that same wrath will come at us. That same battle, that same fight will come against us because God hates sin. God loves us too much to leave us there. So we need to be careful that in loving verses like verse 7, Oh yes, Lord, send forth your wrath and consume them like stubble. Got to make sure that you're actually on God's side. Got to make sure that you're actually following him and his word. If not, you may find yourself at the end of that wrath. Verse 8 and with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap, that's a wall, and the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. Right? Here the picture for us is with one sniff, God pulled up the waters of the Red Sea and they stood upright like a wall. He held them in place. They congealed like walls of jello, I wrote here, right? He congealed them. He stopped them. 
And now as they go through verse 9, the enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The seas covered them. And they sank like lead in the mighty waters. There's two things here for us to remember. Whose word are we looking to pay attention to? Today, whose word are we consumed with hearing what's going on? To hear what they're saying. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just been me this week, right? You're going over from this social media to that social media platform, right? You're watching the news. What does this guy have to say? What is this? What's going on? What are they saying? What's happening? What's this? What's that? And we can get consumed with wanting to hear the words of what's going on and what the enemy is saying. But if the Israelites were only consumed with what the enemy was saying, I think they would have lost hope. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I'm going to divide their spoil. I'm going to be satisfied, right? My desire is going to be satisfied on them. I'm going to draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. And then with what? With simply exhaling those nostrils, God is able to completely wipe out all the enemies of the Egyptians. So again, family, whose word are we focusing on today? Are we in God's word more than we've been in the news this week? Are we in God's word more than we've been in social media this week? Are we in God's word more than we're obsessed with hearing the words of another person? I'm willing to almost wager, right? That your level of stress and anxiety, it's going to be very dependent on whose word you've been consuming this week. Our enemies, they can say what they will. But if it's not in the allowance of God to happen, it's not going to happen. Right? Job gives us a perfect picture of that. The enemy has to come to God every time for permission to be messing with Job. And the same is true for us today, guys. We need to trust in the Lord. And now we're going to see later on, difficulties will come and may come. But the Lord is allowing those things so that we would rely on Him more and more. So that we would grow in Him more and more. Verse 11 Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Again, we get the same picture here. Our God is holy. His holiness, it's his top character trait. Everything else flows from there. It's a holy love. It's a holy righteousness. It's a holy grace. It's a holy mercy. So for us to look at God and teach our children about God as a holy God. If you weren't here on Wednesday, I encourage you to listen to the teaching. Pastor Jack Kranz, he was here and he reminded us that in the moment where Moses is on the mountain fellowshipping with God, right? To the point he comes off the mountain, his face is glowing. They have to put a veil on his head so they can go to sleep at night, right? It's so bright. He's meeting with God, ministering to God. And what are the people doing down below? They're committing idolatry. They're running around a golden calf that they've just built after having just been freed from the Egyptian slavery that we're talking about here. Our God is a holy God. We need to be reminded of that. When we're thinking about playing with sin, when we're thinking about watching certain things or listening to certain things, remember, yeah, God is love. Yes, God is good. But our God is a holy 
God? And are we making excuses for our unholiness? Or are we asking the Lord, Lord, make me holy as you are holy. As his word commands us, be holy for I am holy. Verse 12, you stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You in your mercy, you have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Again, it's in his mercy. It's in his leading. It's his redemption. It's his strength. It's his guiding. And it's his holy habitation. That's why, family, more than ever before, we need to be plugged in to him. We need to be plugged into the Lord. Because how are we going to make it if we see in verse 13, all of it is through him. It's his mercy. It's his redemption. It's his guiding. It's his strength. It's his holy habitation. So how are we going to make it past the finish line if we're not plugged into him? Now, verses 1 through 13 Really, Exodus 1 through 15 to this point, the people of God, they've seen the miracles and the greatness of God. And if you've been there and you see a miracle in front of you, all of a sudden you think, you know what, God can do anything, right? And it's true, he really can do everything and anything. And now we see here them speaking prophetically before they've even seen the other nations and the other enemies and the other peoples that they will run into. Verse 14, it tells us the people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord. Till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Couple of things for us to get from here in Joshua chapter 2. If you could turn quickly, we'll turn there. And in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, we'll see that a few decades later, a woman by the name of Rahab really brings these words to fruition. And in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, it tells us Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, And I know. That the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed." And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Again, we see this. Their enemies, their courage, it just melted away. And now they could have all trusted in the Lord, but we see only a few. 
Only a few like Rahab saying, you know what? God truly is God, and now I will trust in him. Another scripture we can turn to is Revelation chapter 15. And not only is this the first song that we really have in the history of mankind, but in Revelation 15, we're going to see that we'll be singing this song for a long, long time. That hopefully you'll be there with me on a different seashore singing this song. In Revelation chapter 15, verse 2, John writes and he tells us, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. Again, the joy for us that one day we'll be singing this song in heaven on the seashore there with the Lord and there with God's anointed. And here there's the reminder to us back in Exodus chapter 15. Verse 18, who's the one that's going to reign forever and ever? It's the Lord. It's God. And that should give us comfort here this morning, this afternoon. Who's the one that's going to reign forever and ever? It's not Republican. It's not Democrat. The one who is going to reign forever and ever is Jesus Christ. The question for us right now is where is our allegiance? Where has our allegiance been? If someone would come and they put you on trial, right? Who is this person's king? Who is this person's leader? Who is this person's champion? Who would they say? Is he truly your king? Is he truly the Lord of lords in your life? Is he the one that you're focused on saying, I will bow down to him today and for the rest of eternity? Or have we lost track in this whole rat race and all the ups and downs of this life? Have we lost track in the one that will reign forever and ever? And if you're convicted, if you feel that cocotazo, if you feel that yiti's right, it's not too late. You just confess your sins before the Lord. You say sorry to a couple people and you're back on track. That's all you have to do. But our focus needs to be on the Lord. Do we try to make our world better? Yes. Do we try to make our world better for our kids? Yes. But we need to be focused on the one who's going to be reigning forever and ever. We will be singing this song one day. Exodus 15 verse 19. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea again in this time period in this history the men would have a leader so Moses he would sing the song and then all the men would answer back to him and he would sing the next verse and then all the men would sing back to him the men would have a leader but then the ladies would also have a leader and they would do the same type of thing right 
this trading in a sense back and forth. And here in verse 20 and 21, we see it tells us, Then Miriam, the prophetess, sister of Aaron, Aaron is Moses' older brother, Miriam is Moses' older sister, she took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. I've seen some long conga lines at a wedding, but this would have been crazy, right? You got a million, two million people, and now all the women in the camp, hundreds of thousands of women, right? They pull out their timbrels, and now they're following, singing, and dancing with Miriam. But again, for us to put, us, put ourselves here in the story, how proud must have Miriam been of her little brother? Imagine all that she's been through. She's seen him born in life. She's seen her mom worried about Moses' life. Will she have to throw him into the Nile and just watch him perish? Those moments in Exodus chapter 2, verse 4 through 8, right? They pushed the little baby in that little ark covered with pitch inside and out, floating along. And Miriam's the only one running through all the weeds, right? Seeing what's going to happen to her baby brother. She's the one that has the wisdom to tell Pharaoh's daughter, hey, do you need a woman to nurse him? And how proud Miriam must be of her brother. And yet who does Miriam give the glory to? It's not favoritism, it's not the family, it's not her little brother. Verse 21, and Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. And family, that's a warning for us today. We can be proud of our family and we should be proud of our family when they do things for the Lord. But remember to give all the glory and honor to God. Be careful putting people on pedestals. Bad things happen. Be careful puffing up people's heads. Bad things can happen. And now we read through this and we're just saying, man, this is awesome. This is great, right? I don't know what your favorite war movie is, right? But at the end of the movie when they've won and everybody's dancing, everybody's singing, right? And the Star Wars, everybody's dancing. Little teddy bears are running around, right? Everybody's happy. Everybody's excited, right? And we think, man, this is awesome. They're going to follow God for forever. They're just going to float into the promised land. Everything's going to be awesome. Man, just the reality of life. Verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Right? One day of singing. Two days, right? How many people remember the song? Three days, how many people remember the song, right? Talk about a one-hit wonder, right? And the people here, what's the first thing they do? They've seen the glory of God. They've seen the power and majesty of God. Surely they would turn to the Lord. Surely they would pray. Surely they'd be excited for what God's going to do. But in verse 23, it tells us, Now they came to Marah. They could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Charles Spurgeon, he tells us, It had not yet been demonstrated by testing whether the children of Israel were a worshiping people who occasionally murmured, or if they were a murmuring people who occasionally worshipped. That's a great question for us this morning. Who are you, right? Are you constantly worshipping the Lord? 
And then every once in a while, right, someone cuts you off and slows down. Every once in a while, right, someone's asleep and the light turns green. Every once in a while, you're at the left turning lane and there's like staying 10 feet back, right, from the crossing line. But you're always worshiping God. Or are we the family of God that we're always murmuring? We're always complaining. We're always whining. We always see the better way to do things, but we're never willing to actually do the things, right? But then every once in a while, we find ourselves worshiping the Lord. I mean, we be those who we are known as worshipers. Because if God has redeemed us, if God has done something mighty and great, we're going to naturally be worshipers to the Lord. So now we come back here, and verse 23, it tells us they came to Marah. That literally means bitter. Again, Moses is writing all of this after it's transpired. So they come to a land, they come to a a body of water after three days of, of nothing. We know that the human body can only withstand three days in the desert with no water. So maybe they've come to their breaking point, and they see a body of water all excited, all awesome. I don't know who's the first guy to take a sip and blah, right? It's putrid, it's bitter, it's sour. It's that type of water that you warn your kids not to drink of on the side of the road, right? Because it's going to cause more problems than good. It's going to cause more dehydration than hydration, if you know what I mean. And here he's warning them, and they come to the bitterness, and do they cry out to God? Do they pour their hearts out to the Lord? No, they begin to complain right away. Again, may we see this warning, this admonition, and say, Lord, Give me a heart of gratitude. Lord, give me a heart of gratitude. And who's the one who brought them to these bitter waters, right? Whose fault is it? Who's the one they're following, right? Following Moses. But who's Moses following? The Lord. And we know that God himself said, you know what? I'm not going to take them on the direct path because then they're going to come in touch with the Philistines and the wars, the giants. They're not going to want any part of it and they're going to give up. So God himself has led his chosen people into a season of bitterness. What? Right? I thought you said God is love. What's going on here, right? When Jesus' disciples, right, these seasoned fishermen, they've been fishing since they were little kids, fishing professionally, fishing on charter boats, and they find themselves in a storm where they think they're going to die. Who led them in that storm? Who told them, hey, Go to the other side. It was Jesus. And family, the reality for us is that we will go through seasons of bitterness. We will go through bitter seasons in life. And here, as we read in 1 Corinthians 10, it's an example to now give us the way to apply it to our own lives. That when we've come to these seasons of bitterness, what should we do? First and foremost, don't be complaining. Don't be known as a murmurer who occasionally worships. But we are to throw a tree into the bitterness. We're supposed to throw a tree at this bitter season. What has caused this bitter season for you today, right? Maybe you're watching the news and you're just mad and angry at it. On your laptop, on your phone, you've watched this and now you're angry, you're bitter, right? Don't grab a a tree and just smash your laptop or smash your computer. That's not what we're talking about here. But several times in the New Testament, the cross of Christ is marked as a tree. He was crucified on the tree for us. 
And now, family, as we go through bitter seasons in life, what we should do is throw the cross of Christ at the bitterness. When you're going through a rough season in life, remember the cross. When we're crying out, God, this isn't fair, look at what all I've done, remember the cross. And if there was a man, if there was a being that had everything unfair happen to him, it was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we go through seasons of bitterness when we're bitter at someone and angry at the way they're acting and reacting to things, may we remember the cross of Christ and the grace and mercy he has extended to us, the forgiveness that he has given to us. We will go through seasons of bitterness. I think we're about to go through a very bitter season in life. May we remember the cross of Christ. May we not be those who are murmurers who occasionally worship. And truly, what do we have to complain about in this season? Right? What do we have to complain about? We're here in this room with air conditioning. We're going to walk out, each of us to our car, right? Maybe the bus, and there's probably air conditioning or a heater for the freezing days in Miami, right? Each of us, we probably have over $100 worth of clothing on us. We're going to leave from here, and for lunch, we're not going to know which restaurant to pick. So you know what? Let me go to Yelp. Let me go to Google Maps so I can figure out which restaurant I feel like going to today. Family, what do we have to complain about? What do we really have to murmur about? As we look at the believers from the past decades and centuries, what do we have to complain about? And now the excitement for us, the joy for us is that if David could get through it, so can we. If Joseph can get through it, so can we. If Daniel can get through it, so can we. If Corey Ten Boom could get through it, then so can we. They're all humans just like us. They put their sandals on the same way we do. Right? They put their robes, their togas. I hope you guys don't wear robes and togas, but hey, they would put them on the same exact way that we would. And now if they were able to get through all the bitter seasons in life that they went through, Family, we can get through it. And we'll look at later the way that we should be getting through it. But again, it's all focusing on the cross of Christ. Have we focused on that today in the season? When you're angry at the news, angry at the media, angry at what's going on, have you remembered the cross of Christ? Have you remembered that the good news, the gospel, is not that a president or a media or a Democrat or Republican came to save the world? is that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I'm chief, right? That's the good news. That's the good news of the Lord. Verse 25, second half, it says, There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. You see, God would test his people, the people of Israel, with a command. And all throughout Scripture, we are tested even today with the different commands that God gives us. It wasn't fill in the blank. It wasn't true or false. It wasn't multiple choice. It was a single command. And that was the test given to the people of God. 
And now depending if they obey or disobey the test, it's going to reveal who do they love most. It's going to reveal who do they trust the most. And it's going to reveal who do they respect the most. And family, even here today, God's word gives us all sorts of commands on complaining, on handling our money, on our morality, on sex, on raising a family, on the priorities in our lives. And now if we obey or disobey those commands, it's going to reveal who do you love the most. Do you really love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul, all your spirit, right? Or is there something or someone else you love more? Depending if we obey or disobey those commands, it's going to reveal who do we trust the most. Do we really trust him above all other things? Or is our trust in our family, our job, our government, our money? And finally, it's going to reveal to us who we respect the most. And whenever you hear that having that fear of God, it means that you have a respect of God, that you respect him more than anyone else. And we each have people we respect. Maybe it's our parents. Maybe it's someone that did something for us when we were younger, and we respect them. So now whatever they ask of us, we are willing to do. Do we have that same respect towards the Lord? Because here he gave them a conditional promise. He says, hey, if you do X, Y, Z, then I will do this for you. The sad thing is that the Israelites, they did not diligently heed the voice of the Lord their God. They did not do what was right in his sight. They did not give ear to his commandments and to his statutes. And later on, they would go through difficulty. As the 1 Corinthians chapter 10 mentions us, the serpents came out and all sorts of problems happened within the nation of Israel. So for us, are we passing the tests? God's word, God's commands to us, are we passing the test? It's going to quickly reveal to us who do we love most, who do we trust most, and who do we respect the most. Finally, verse 27, it tells us, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. You see, our God, he's a good God. He's a just and kind and loving God. Right after this season of bitterness, after throwing the cross of Christ at it, then came the season of blessings. They get 12 wells of water. They get 70 palm trees to relax, to camp out, and enjoy it. We see this in the life of Joseph. We see this in the life of Job. We see this all throughout the Bible. After difficult seasons, the Lord usually gives us right, a season where we can breathe and relax a bit. And we love the Elims, right? If you're looking at TripAdvisor, right, and you're saying, which, which resort do I want to stay at, right? Do I want to stay at Mara where the water's bitter and everything tastes gross there? Or do I want to go to Elim where there's, hey, 70 palm trees, they got 12 different pools, all these waters, right? I think we'd all pick Elim. And we love the Elims, but the difficult thing here is where were the miracles of God? Were they found in Mara or were they found in Elim? Where was the crying out to God? Was it found in Elam or was it found in Mara? Where did they learn more about the love and healing of God? Was it in Mara or was it in Elam? Where did their trust and knowledge and view of God grow within their hearts and minds? Was it in Mara or was it in Elam? And family, here is the difficult reality. We 
grow not in the Elims, but we grow in the Maras. We grow in the difficult seasons of life. And now we never want to sign up for it. I think many of us as parents, we try to raise our kids so they never have to go through Amara, if we're honest. But we may be doing them a disservice because we all will go through trials and tribulation. We're all going to go through bitterness in this life because this world is not heaven. That's what the rest of our life is supposed to be for. Just perfection. No more crying. No more complaining. No more struggling with our flesh and with sin. No more politics. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, right? No more of this garbage. But that is not this world. That is in heaven. So for us, right, are we the people of God that we say, Lord, just give me the goodness and the blessings, but if I don't grow with you, it's okay? Are we saying, Lord, I want you no matter what. Even if it takes seeing you within the bitter seasons, within the difficulties, even if it takes seeing you that my life is getting bitter, my heart is getting bitter, and I'm having to learn how to apply the cross of Christ onto this difficult situation. And like I said earlier, I do, I believe we're headed to a difficult and bitter season ahead. And I do believe God and his grace and mercy after that will give us a season like Elam, whether in this life or in the one to come. But hey, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. What should we be doing here and now and today? And God's word, just like it always does, gives us the practical things that we should be doing. Again, the context of 1 Peter, the context of so many of these epistles, you have a body of Christ that is going through a true bitter season, right? You think of the book of Acts, and you have a group of believers who their pastor, in a sense, right? Pastor Peter, he's out in prison. They've taken him away. They've hauled him away to be executed. And where are the people of God? All hunkered down in their own prepping homes? No. They're all together in someone's house, praying, fellowshipping with one another, hanging out with one another. The church is literally under fire from the government, and yet they are being united more than ever before. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6, verse 5, it tells us, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Family, if we really think the end of all things is at hand, what should we be doing? Growing in prayer. We should be serious and watchful in our prayers. You want to be biblical. You want to be right with God. You want to be holy. You want to be righteous. You want to be right with the Lord, showing him that you're thankful for all he's done. Grow in prayer. The church is under fire. People are going through true evil and disgusting seasons in life. Believers are being hauled away to stadiums to be eaten alive by lions. And what does Peter say? Hey, be serious. Be watchful in your prayers. What's the second thing? Verse 8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. So after being serious and watchful in our prayers, what's the next thing we need to be doing as believers? We need to have a fervent love for the body of believers. Because love will cover a multitude of sins. 
family, our love for one another needs to grow. It needs to grow to the point that we're willing to forgive one another and not just get bitter. And in this season, again, one of the most heartbreaking things to me is seeing how Christians are complaining and getting after other Christians in all types of forums. And simply, it's not biblical. That's not the way we should be living. And in the days to come, the days ahead, the weeks, the months, the years, sooner or later, believers will be made the scapegoats. Sooner or later, we're going to be the ones pointed to that aren't listening to what's going on. We're going to be the ones pointed at that we're not down with the homosexuality. We're not down with the transgender. We're not down with following all the orders that are being given. And are we ready for it? Are our children ready for it? Not to alarm us, to hide us, man, moving to homestead and disappearing in the redlands. Again, that's not what we should be doing. We should be what? Given to prayer. We should be having a fervent love for one another. Because if believers are turning on each other this soon in the game, things are only going to get worse, family. That we'd be prepared for it. Again, not alarming, not freaking out, but that we would be ready for what's up ahead and being obedient to God's word. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Zach, I did this. I had my best friend over the other day and I had my mom over. See, I'm hospitable. Know the body of believers. Because again, it's very popular with conservatives, popular with some Christians, right? Prepping, that's what we should do. The world's going to blow up, so I got to have everything ready. And man, everyone in Calvary Miami is going to die, but me and my family, we're going to be okay, right? Is that, is, I don't know, right? Please show me that in Scripture. Reveal that to me in Scripture. What we see throughout history, through the Holocaust, through the atrocities, all throughout history and through the Bible is that when things get difficult for believers, the last thing we should be doing is segregating and disappearing all by ourselves. That should be the last thing that we do. And if believers have already gone through it, hopefully we're wise enough to follow God's word. And what we should be doing more than ever is being hospitable to one another. Zach, I don't have the gift of hospitality. That's great. I don't have the gift of loving others. <laughs> I don't have the gift of being obedient to the Ten Commandments. I don't have the gift of, man, loving my wife as Christ loved the church. But it's a command. And like we looked at Exodus 15, it's the test. The Lord's testing us to say, hey, will you obey my command or will you disobey? Because it's going to reveal to us where we're at with the Lord. Be hospitable to one another. doesn't mean you need to throw one of these fake parties on social media that nobody's paying attention to each other. Everybody's on their phone and reposting things. You just hang out, relax, have some bagel bites, right? Get some Taco Bell. And relax with one another. If the Lord has blessed you with greater means, then hey, you bless other people with other means. But we are to be hospitable to the body of Christ. Verse 10, as each one has received the gift, minister, use those gifts that God has given you and use it for one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Again, God has blessed each and every one of us with giftings. Each of us, we're all a part of the body of Christ, and we all have different parts within the body. We have all have different giftings. Don't just use it for your employer. Don't just use it for this world. Use it to bless the body of Christ. 
That's what's important. So again, for us, as we're seeing the dark days ahead, hey, don't freak out. Be ready. Just be prepared with the Lord. I encourage you, get into God's word. So it was awesome. Many people said, man, I want to grow in reading the Bible this year. And I encourage you, read God's word. We need to grow in our knowledge of God's word this year. We need to grow in prayer. And honest, everyday things. We got to grow in getting out of debt. Got to grow in spending less. Got to grow in not growing physically, right? And being healthier, right? Just little practical things that we can do. Because if things are going to get more difficult, are we going to wait till we get in the difficult season to start preparing? Are we prepping? Are we ready that it's just me and my family and everybody else can get whatever they want? No. If you're prepping, that's great. But maybe to bless others, to care for others, right? What did Christ say? If you give a cup of water to one of these little ones, it's like you're giving it unto me. Not blessed is he who hoards all the water to himself, right? We don't see that in Scripture. So again, for us, we're going to go through bitter seasons like Mara. We're going to go through blessed seasons like Elam. But may we all be growing in the knowledge and in the glory and in the holiness of the Lord. 